This is week three or four, and uh, just we're really grateful um, that God would trust us with this moment, trust us to come and, and share his word with you. And we believe that it's something that uh, God is using to position you um, individually and as a church body for what God has. We've been talking about before and after, and uh, uh, our first two weeks have been really pastoral care, uh, really caring for your soul in nature and uh, being able to see the before in the lens of how God moves and how God works to develop our witness. And now today it's kind of like us being able to see um, exactly what God has done to position us for everything that he has before us and uh, really seeing, seeing God in his office as, or seeing Christ in his office as our high priest, uh, which can sound, the terminology can sound uh, outdated, but there's something that is, real, that is relevant for our lives and that's meaningful, significant for our lives. So I, I'm going to start, guys, today in Hebrews 10, verse 19, if we'll go there first. Hebrews 10, verse 19, going to read 19 through 25. Just so you could see, this is where we're going today and uh, where, we're, where we're going to end. But I want to walk through some things here in the book of, of Hebrews that reveal uh, something about Jesus as our high priest. Uh, last week, uh, if you were here or if you weren't here, just so you can kind of catch up with where we were, we were talking about David. David uh, began being attacked by King Saul. King Saul was after his life. God led him to flee the presence of King Saul. And when he left, he went to Ahimelech, the priest, and he asked the priest for the bread of the presence and for the sword, for a weapon. And the priest had there had a sword that he, the sword that David killed Goliath with. And David said, give it to me, for there is none like it. And so we're talking about having a heart an appetite for the bread of God's presence, for his word, and being able to see how God turns weapons that are pointed against us into uh, the, greatest, um, the greatest indicator of his power and his presence in our life. And yeah, the, every victory belongs to him. David would not have defeated Goliath if it wasn't for uh, God's presence and God's help and that revelation. And so he was reminded of that when he took that sword. But I, I was ending last week that as I journeyed through that text personally, that uh, I was focusing in on the bread of the presence and on the sword. But uh, God began to redirect my attention in that text towards the priest. That if he had not went to the priest, he would not have gotten, he would not have gotten the bread and he would not have gotten the sword. And so God began to start to uh, develop my heart to go to Jesus as my great high priest more and more. And as I was doing that, I'm going to share with you some things he was showing me in the book of Hebrews and that he was laying out. So here in Hebrews chapter 10, where we're going today, verse 19, since therefore, I like that, since therefore, because of everything that we have written to to this point, because of all of that, I'm about to share with you this. This is the after. Since therefore, everybody say after. All right. You're welcome just to join in conversation with me today. Since therefore, brethren, we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil, that is, his flesh. And since we have a great, high, a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts uh, sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. 
let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Father, in this place, let your word be life. Let your power be great. Open our eyes to see you, to know you. And God, set our heart free in our relationship with you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. It's interesting the Hebrews writer is writing to a people who their reference point to how they relate to God is seen in a priest. That's what they know. That's what they know from their history. That's how God has worked with them. Through, uh, if you read through the Old Testament, you see the way that God, their relationship with God was strengthened or represented by priesthood. And so it began uh, with the priesthood, would, would, they would be the ones that offered sacrifices every year in the temple that the people, we, people like us, we would have had to prepare our own sacrifice, an animal that we would bring to the house of God every year and sacrifice it. And then we would go to the level of cleansing in the temple. I know that you, you, you guys have uh, been taught on the layout of, of the tabernacle and uh, of having the, the place of sacrifice, the altar of sacrifice, shedding of blood, the cleansing. And then, uh, we also, then we'd have the oil, and then we would have the holy, of, uh, the holy place and the holy of holies. And the holy of holies is behind the veil. And so this was the layout of the temple. And, and, and people like us would have to bring their sacrifice to the temple and go through this layer-by-layer layer process, but they would not get to go into the Holy of Holies. Only the priest could. And so uh, what they would do is the priest would go in behind the veil, and they would have uh, fruit, they would have pomegranates and bells on the end of their robe, and they would tie a rope to them, and they would go into the Holy of Holies on behalf of the people to be able to sacrifice for sins and to be able to hear what God is saying to them. So this, do you see what I'm saying? I mean, I'm not just trying to be headsy with you. I want you to know this is the way that the people of God, the context of what we're talking about today is this is how they related to God. And, and their relationship with God was modeled through the priest. And so if the, they tied the rope because if the priest died for some reason when they were behind the veil, the, and they, the bells stopped ringing and they couldn't hear the sound of the pomegranates and the bells on their garment, they would pull them out because they, they were dead. And somebody else would raise up and take office. And, but they would go in and also they may encounter God in the holy of holies and come out of his presence. And everyone knew that they were cleansed from their sin for the past year. And they knew that what God was saying to them as a people. So this was the concept of worship. This is the concept of their relationship with God. This is the, that yes, we get to relate to him, but we're not directly connected to him. And so the Hebrew writer is going through this full piece that, and, and revealing to us that Jesus is our high priest. And now on this end and when we live, when we know that we have access to God personally, that this helps us strengthen our relationship with him by seeing what we have in our high priest. And that's that's what I want to walk through. I want to, I want to talk kind of about, how, uh, about moments in motion because that's really before and after, right? We have moments in our life that are watermark moments. We, we have it in our spiritual journey. We have it in our, our personal life. 
We, we, it could be uh, like meeting my wife is a watermark moment. But it, uh, when, when you get married, my wife and I, we do premarital counseling, and uh, we, we, make, we take time to walk through what the wedding ceremony is going to look like, but we don't make that our main emphasis. We make our emphasis is that this wedding ceremony is going to be a moment that is awesome and it's beautiful, but what's more important is what this moment is setting in motion for your life as a couple. And so there are moments in motion. There's a moment of salvation when we, our eyes are open to the gift of, uh, of God, the gift of salvation through Christ Jesus, and we have redemption, and we have the forgiveness of our sins, and it's a moment, but it's not just about the moment, but it's about what God is wanting to set in motion in our life because now we have direct access and relationship with him. We have a committed relationship. If I were looking at the issues of my life and looking at the moments, looking at the issues that have come up as I've been walking out my life, I can tell you that all of the issues of my life are directly related to broken covenant, to broken relationship. And when relationships break, it breaks our heart. When relationships break, it can cause us to go numb. And, and whether you're young or old or you can look at the relationships and you can remember your first heartbreak and you can remember, you can think about the things that you had to experience through life that broke your heart, the broken relationships, people that you wish you could have went all the way with, but for some reason that we just can't go further together anymore. Those types of things affect us. And they create issues in our life, and they create insecurities in our life. And all, all of the issues of life are the direct result of broken covenant. And Jesus comes to restore this uh, idea of covenant and committed relationship. And so I just want to walk through this. If Y'all ready for a good old-fashioned Bible study? Yeah. Let's do it. This, that concept of priesthood is how the people of God were able to relate, with, relate to God have forgiveness from his sins and, and, or from their sins and be in his presence. Thank God we don't have to bring like our own goat or lamb to slaughter, right? Nobody, nobody came in with a goat or a lamb or anything this morning, so everybody's good. We just got to wake up, get dressed, walk in here, and hopefully there's a little bit that you did to prepare your heart to come into the house of God and enter his courts with thanksgiving and with praise, and I believe you did that because that's why we led with praise. We want him to be exalted, him to be ministered to, and then for us to feed upon his word. So let's, let's feed upon his word right here in, um, in Hebrews. I'll, I'll lay out these. Uh, I don't think all these points are on the screen, but we're going to send them out to everybody who wants them. Uh, Pastor Austin's going to get those to everyone. And since I mentioned him, I'm thankful for Pastor Austin. Anybody else thankful for, for Pastor Austin? What a man of God. Thankful for his faithfulness. I'm also thankful for Pastor Rob in Virginia and and their obedience to God to step in and serve the body. Man, just what great, Reagan and I had dinner with Pastor Rob in Virginia on Wednesday night, and it was just an amazing time, super encouraging. He has a real meekness about him, but there's also power in his words and in the quality of his life, and I'm just thankful that, um, that God allowed us to have time with them, I'm thankful for he and his wife and their service. So make sure you let them know thank you. You know, they, they moved from Ohio uh, I know this isn't the message, but they moved from Ohio in May and stepped right in to just being, being able to serve the body of Christ. And uh, that's really their hearts, and they've, they've done a tremendous job of being willing to do that in whatever way that they can. And I think he's teaching a growth track right now out um, in the classroom. 
But anyway, I digress. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17. First, we see that Jesus, as our high priest, he uh, became like his brethren in all things. Now, th- what this means is we'll walk through these and, uh, and talk a little bit about, about what these means. There's a few that I feel like there's some preaching moments behind it. Um, but if you just open your heart to receive this, and the goal of it is so you could see how, how you relate to God through the gift that God has given us in Jesus as our high priest and what that, what that means for how he wants us to live our life. He became like his brethren in all things. That means he made himself subject to the same conditions that we have, right? So like if he was living today, he would, he would know what it means to be on social media. He would, know, he would know what it means to go to a Friday night football game, to be a Carolina or Gamecock fan. Both of y'all, y'all both won, or, or excuse me, a Carolina or a Clemson fan, both won tomorrow, yesterday. Me and Reagan, our team's lost yesterday. App State got beat. And, uh, and, and Ohio State, she's a Buckeyes. Don't hold it against her. Buckeyes got beat yesterday. But he, and even more, more so, he, to the conditions of our life, the relational conditions of our life, the things that we have to endure, the things that we have to experience as human beings. He made himself, he was God, and he made himself subject to our experience. That he brought himself down to our level to relate with us and the Bible says, actually in Hebrews, right before the scripture, that he's not ashamed to call us brothers. That he relates to us on our level. I, th- I think it's, it's, this is all so encouraging to me, and I believe it will be to you in your relationship. Uh, Hebrews 2.17 also shows he's a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God. He's merciful and he's faithful. He, he's, he's, he, he's, he's our connection to God. He's bringing the things of God to us and bringing us to the things of God. Hebrews 2.17 says he's the propitiation for sins of the people. Propitiation is just this big word. It means he satisfied the, the wrath of God. That all of God's anger that was towards his people because of sin and their rebellion against God, Jesus drank that cup for us. That's what they're saying. We don't have to drink that. We, we, when we receive Jesus, we graduate from having to taste the fullness of his wrath because of what he's done for us in Christ Jesus. He became the propitiation. He became the sufficient sacrifice for our sins. So now, I don't, I, I, this is good because you, you don't have to think that God is just this guy with a hammer up in heaven ready to slam it down on your head, Right? God is redemptive. He's not punitive. His, his nature is redemptive. He is his redeemer. The, the, the fact that he sent Jesus to the earth to redeem us, to redeem us reveals that, that he's for us, that he's, he's wanting to save us from our sins. He's wanting to give us life and not take life from us. And we have to receive that. But he, he makes that accessible to us. Uh, Hebrews 2.18, he's tempted and he's able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. Now, I'm thankful for, for this because, and I, I'll stand before you and I'll tell you every time that I'm tempted, I'm not quick to act on this scripture and when I have access to Jesus. But it, it's encouraging and empowering for me to know that whatever temptation I face, and there will be temptation, whatever temptation I face, he is able to come to aid to the aid for me in that temptation because he was subject to the human condition just as I was. He knows every temptation that is known to man. 
and knows the way out. And so imagine if we can get to the place of maturity in our spiritual growth, in our journey, where we can begin in the moment of temptation to be able to say, God, I thank you that you're able to give me aid and help in this moment and that you're able to provide me a way out and victory over this thing. Now, I don't have to struggle with this thing over and over and over again, but I can step in. It's not just a moment. It's about what it sets in motion. And so he, he's tempted and able to come to our aid that I can ask him for help, and he will help me. Hebrews 3.2 says that he is faithful to him who appointed him. Man, he's not measuring his faithfulness by how he relates to us or what we think of him. His faithfulness is measured based off his relation to God the Father and how he is being obedient to everything the Father told him to do. See, this is, encur- this is encouraging to me because his faithfulness is, is based upon how he relates to God. It, it makes me to know that he, if he can be faithful to God, he will be faithful to me. He's passed through the heavens, Hebrews 4.14. This means that everything that is in operation in the heavenly places, that God has created an opening for me to have access to God and God to have access to me. That means we can know his thoughts and his ways. We can know his plan and his purpose. And that means we can come to God and have, we're not so far off from him that heaven is not separate from us, but he's brought heaven to us and he's given us access to God in heaven through through this great high priest. So that then there's also, there's no uh, interference between what the enemy is trying to do through, through principalities, through spiritual darkness, and through demonic activity. There's nothing that the enemy can do that can hinder my access to heaven and heaven's access to me. That's what we have through our great high priest, Jesus. Hebrews 4, 15, it says he sympathizes with our weaknesses. I'm thankful for that. Having, having a God who sympathizes with my weakness. Anybody ever have moments of weakness? He sympathizes with us in our weakness. When we were uh, having dinner with Pastor Rob on Wednesday, he brought up this term called sympathetic resonance. And it's a term, it's a musical term, and it's when a chord, when, 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 uh, when, when, when a chord like a guitar is in harmony, tuned in harmony together, then you can strike one chord and then the chord that you didn't hit that is in harmony and in tune with that chord, it will begin to vibrate as well. And that that what, what happens in one place affects the other. See, that's what this is saying, that, uh, that, that God resonates, his heart resonates and is sympathetic towards the things that we face in our life. That, that he, he wants us to be so in tune with him and he wants us to know that he's so in tune with us because he's walked through everything that we've walked through. He, had to, he, he reduced himself to flesh, just as we are flesh, and he walked through it. He sympathizes through everything that we face. He sympathizes with us in our weakness, the things that are challenge, challenging to us. And he begins to move, and, he, and if we'll go to him, he'll bring a, our souls and our hearts in those broken places into, into, into harmony and in tune with him. Hebrews 4.15, he's tempted and without sin. It's not just that he faced temptation and he knows the struggle. He knows the victory. That now when I ask for his aid in a moment of temptation, 
It's not that just that he'll pat me in the back and say, it's okay, I've been there too. And saying, all right, brother, all right, sister, here we go. You're about to, this is your moment of opportunity, and you can have victory over, over this vice, over this struggle, over this sin. You can have victory over this temptation. Lead us not for, into temptation and deliver us from evil. He will do what he, he can do that for us because he's tempted and without sin. Everybody with me so far? It's a good Bible study, right? He's our confidence to draw near, Hebrews 4.16. He gives us confidence, assurance that we can draw near to him and we can be close to him. He's merciful and gracious, Hebrews 4.16. Hebrews 5.1, he acts on behalf of men in relation to God. He's securing. See, but part of a before and after is the in-between, right? It's the in-between. That's what makes it hard. Something ended. You know that there's something that uh, is new that is beginning, but the in-between is hard. Think of it like if you, you lose a job, and then you're looking for a new job, but that in-between gets a little bit tough, right? You got to squeeze some finances. Sometimes you got you to go and talk to people and lay down your pride that you didn't want to have to talk to. The in-between gets tough. And so that's what, that's what this is saying here in, in, in 5.1, he acts on behalf of men in relation to God. He is our in-between. He, he is in all of the moments. He's in the, he's, in the, he, he's in that in-between, in the middle of whatever we're facing, whatever we're walking through. We can have access to him, and that because of that, we have a relation to God. He offers gifts and sacrifices for sin, Hebrews 5.2. He deals gently with the ignorant and misguided. I like that one. Because I'm ignorant and misguided a lot of times. And what I have in Jesus, my great high priest, is he deals gently with me when I'm acting like I ain't got no sense. Right? When I'm being, when I'm being a knucklehead, when I, when I don't have it all together. He's gentle and he's patient with me. I, I love what Peter said. He said, he said that uh, don't think that God is slow on his promises because he is patient with you. Don't think that just because a promise or a new beginning hasn't occurred yet, that God is, is not fulfilling his promises. He's being patient with you because it's not his will that you would perish, but it's his will that you would come to salvation and life in his name. And so in, because he's patient with us, I'm, I'm so ignorant and misguided sometimes, I'm thankful for God's patience. I'm thankful that he's, he's patient with me on my journey. The things that I should have learned by now, the test I should have passed by now, the things I should have conquered by now, he's patient with me on my journey. And I shouldn't think that he's slow on his promises. He's just being patient with me because I'm slow. And he's bringing me up to speed. Hebrews chapter 5, verse uh, 4 through 6, he's made of high, a priest by God's calling and choosing. Man, this really encourages me. If I marry this scripture with uh, what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2 that we are a royal priesthood or what, with what John writes in Revelation that we are kingdom priests meant to reign with him, that, that we, we could see that God didn't, uh, we didn't choose, we didn't step into this because of something we wanted. We stepped into this because of something he wanted, that no one makes themselves a priest, that God makes them a priest. Jesus did not select for himself to be the great high priest on our behalf. God chose to give his one and only son that he would be a priest for us in our access to God and bring us in close relationship with God. 
And now we as a royal priesthood and kingdom priests who reign together, we get to bring the presence of God to people every day. We get to, we get to there are people that never will come to a church, that will never come into a building, but we get to take the presence of God as kingdom, kingdom priests, as, as a royal priesthood into the world every day, and he reveals himself to it. To people, he makes himself know, he, he makes people know his presence. Hebrews chapter five, verse seven. In the flesh, he offers prayers and supplications by crying aloud to the one who is able to save from death, and he's heard because of his piety. That this is the nature of God, and this is what Jesus does, what Jesus did for us when he was in the flesh, and now even what he's doing in intercession for us at the right hand of God. Chapter 5, verse 8, obedience through suffering. He was obedient even through suffering. He was willing to suffer hardship in order to be obedient to reveal God's love and heart towards us. He was made perfect, five, uh, chapter 5, verse 9. Also, he's our source of eternal salvation. Chapter 5, verse 10, he's after the order of Melchizedek. Uh, chapter 6, verse 19, he's a steadfast anchor for the soul. That's good, ain't it? Like whenever life is tossing us around, Jesus is a steadfast anchor. That's why when things are swirling around us, we can look, uh, it, it tries to, uh, to steal our, our vision and it tries to steal our focus, right? You got things in your life to try to steal your focus, try to steal your vision, your hope for the future. See, that's what Je Jesus is a steadfast hope as the anchor of our soul that our soul can be anchored. We can know that we're not going to be shipwrecked. We can know that he's going to bring, he's, he's going to bring us through because we have, a, we have a steadfast anchor for our soul. And all the chaos of life, he keeps it in order. He gives us entrance behind the veil, Hebrews 6, 19. That the, the, high, the priest was the only one who could go into the holy of holies, but when Jesus shed his blood and a drop of blood hit the mercy seat, the veil of the temple torn, torn in two, and everyone has equal access into God through Christ Jesus. He's the only way. I like this one, chapter 6, verse 20. He's our forerunner. That means he goes first. That means he goes ahead of us. I was making an important decision in my life uh, several years ago, and my dad was giving me encouragement, and he said, you can always be sure that God is as far ahead of you as the foundation of the world. That your future, he had already has it planned out and already had it squared away, already had all the supply for your future before the foundation of the world. Before he, even, before he knew that you would be living in this day, in this time, in this place, he had every sufficiency put in place for, for the uh, preservation of your soul and for your heart to be able to dwell in unity with him. He, he, he put it all together. So he's always ahead of us. See, I like this. I'm inspired personally in life by pioneers, by people who go first. You know, I, I, I like the Wright brothers. I love the story. Uh, there's an Air Force Museum in Ohio that you could go to for free, and you go there, and they, they take you on the history of flight, of heavier-than-air flight. They take you on a path of where you can see the history of flight, and they've got the Wright brothers in there, and you read about the Wright brothers, and you learn that they had less resources and less support than others who were seeking the discovery of flight. But they believed that it could be done, and they had tenacity, and they wouldn't quit, and they didn't get discouraged. And, and, and they went first, and they were the first ones to fly. 
at Kitty Hawk, and, and that now every day there's thousands of flights to go around the world, all because one person believed that it could be done. Somebody had to go first. Rosa Parks took a seat on a bus, not because there was anything special about that seat, but what it represented to her. And when nobody else was willing to go, when nobody else was willing to break down that barrier, she went first. And now everybody can sit wherever they want because it was about equal rights, equal access to, to the same quality of life. And she had to be the one that goes first. Jackie Robinson, the first African-American to play baseball, play Major League Baseball, official. There were several that played uh, before for maybe a game or two, but he was the first one to officially be on the roster for a consistent period of time. And, he had to, and his teammates had to be willing to go first and be able to embrace it. And, you know, there's early adopters to change, and there's a lot of people that resist change. And there's a lot of people, even while this writer is writing to the Hebrews, is because they resisted the change that we have in relationship with God through Jesus. But we have to begin to step into the new thing that God is doing and be willing to go first into something. What is the new thing that God is wanting to do at Four Points Church? Are you willing to go first? Roger Bannister, see, he, he, he was the first person who broke the four-minute four mile barrier. There were other people that ran against him that they thought would be the first because they were, they were better in talent, they had a better physique, and they, they had longer legs. They, they were going to be the first to be able to do it, but, Roger, but they gave up before they could do it. They said, even when the conditions are perfect, it cannot be done. But Roger Bannister, a person with less talent, but believed that it could be done. He broke the barrier, and then guess what? Just 54 days later, the next person broke the four-minute barrier. What you do once, it allows expectation to increase. And what I, if you're able to have the courage, what's that thing that no one in your family has ever done? What, what's that space in your relationship with God that you've never taken the step? that you think, I can't access that, that I can't go there with God. Well, today God is releasing you and he's giving you power to be able to take that step. What would happen if you took that step that God is encouraging you to make, that God is calling you to make? What would that mean for the people around you, for your family, for your loved ones? What would it mean? Would, it, would your family no longer struggle with that one thing that nobody has ever broke through on in their life? Would you be able to break down a barrier and be the first in your family to, in, uh, to increase your education? Would you be the first in your family that had the audacity of faith just to, to confess Jesus and begin to tell people about Jesus everywhere you went? What would it mean for the people around you if you were willing to go first? That's what the priesthood is about. He was a forerunner. Jesus was a forerunner. He was willing to go before us to lay the path for us to have access to God. And when no one else would go, when there was no one else that would intercede, when there was no one else that could accomplish the task, Jesus said he put on helmet, the, the prophet said he put on helmet like a salvation. He put on righteousness like a breastplate. And see, that's where we get the armor in Ephesians 6. But it was first prophesied of Jesus in Isaiah that I put on hel uh, salvation like a helmet and, a, and, uh, and righteousness like a breastplate and I came after my people. Jesus went first so that you could go too. What thing do you need to be the first to go after in your family? What thing do you need to go after that God's calling you to for the very first time in your life? Young or old, I don't care. They're, they're, it's not too late. This is the opportunity. 
This is the moment that God has given us. This is the day that we live in. These are the days that God has ordained for us, for us to live for him, to know him, to progress in his promise and to experience his presence, to see the power of God on full display because of intimacy with God through what Christ has done for us in the pouring out and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Isn't this good? He's a forerunner. He went first. If, uh, Hebrews 7.1, he has the power to bless. Man, I'm thankful for that. Blessing is a simple way to say it is it's help on the journey. That God gives us help on the journey. When, when you see in the Bible blessing being released, normally it's released through fathers or priests. A father or a priest. And fathers play the priestly role in your home. And part of the main roles is you're to, to release blessing and not curse. I'm thankful that God has the power to bless. Blessing gives us help on our journey. That's what Reagan have been talking about. You know, we're, we find out the gender of our baby tomorrow. And uh, I say baby, I'm hoping it's babies. I'm hoping somehow there's a couple more in there and we're going to find the gender of those babies tomorrow. But one thing we talked about, we loved about as we entered into marriage is we had an environment of blessing. We had both of our families, our our dads really spoke a lot of blessing into our life. We had uh, people around us. We had ministers in our life that spoke blessing. The blessing of having a priest stand before us as we announced our vows and made our covenant public before people that a blessing was announced. Well, when we do weddings, I, one thing I, I really seek in my time with God for a couple is, God, what is the blessing you want me to speak over the life of their marriage? Because we, you get in that, that space to speak blessing. That's, that's what distinguishes us as a people, that we're even able to bless those that curse us. We're even able to bless those that curse God. That Jesus became a curse for us so that we can know the blessing. He has the power to bless. Seven, chapter 7, verses 2 through 3. He's after the order of Melchizedek. That means he's first. He's the king of righteousness and peace. There's no beginning and there's no end. I'm going to take a moment to preach this right here because he's first and he's last. Much of our life, we live linearly, right? We live, like if you think of a timeline through history, we see it linearly, right? In our textbooks, you have a timeline, it's got the dash marks, this happened, this happened, this happened. We look at our life linearly, chronologically, in order. This is the way that it happened through time. That it's, it's a straight line going from here, there's the beginning, to here, there's the end. And we can look at our life and we can say this event happened, this took place, this took place, I struggled with this here, uh, I had this victory here, oh, I struggled with that again here, and we look at it linearly. But in the kingdom, and what God gives us, is, is there, it's a cycle. It's circular. It's relational. That's why there's a triune Godhead. They live in perfect unity. It's a perfect circle. They're three, but they are one. And he wants to bring us into that circle, into that bond. In the New Testament, time, two of the ways time is referred to is, one is chronos, which is chronological, it's linear. Both are important. And the other is kairos. 
It's a time of opportunity. Satan comes to tempt us at a more opportune time. Paul writes to the church in Ephesians to do your best to redeem the times, to make the most of the opportunity. It's circular, it's cyclical. So it's not just that I struggled with this here and here, it's I struggled with this here, and I struggled with this here, and I struggled with this here, it's cyclical. It becomes a part of who we are. And see, God, those, that, that's what causes the broken covenants, those cyclical things that maybe we just don't overcome. And Jesus is our high priest. He steps in. He's the first and the last. See, that's why, that's why we exchange rings at weddings because you can't find the beginning point or the end point on that ring. And this is a symbol of our covenant. This is a symbol of my love for my wife. That's why when I say before and after that, that I can't, I can't remember what life was like before Reagan. It's because you lose the reference point because the opportunity we've had in relationship to experience love and blessing together. And that's the same thing that God desires for us. And he, he creates that opportunity. In the chronological time of history, he placed his son at the opportune time to create an opening for us to access and have relationship with God. And that there's no, there's no beginning or end to his love. But there are moments where he sets something in motion by his love. There are moments where he begins to bring something together so that we can go after what he has for our future. That's what he does. That's what the Hebrew writer is saying, that Jesus as our high priest, he reigns in righteousness and peace. That means in his authority over and in my life, he brings righteousness and peace. And he reigns forever. He reigns eternally. He's the evidence that God has not changed his mind or purpose. Hebrews 7.21. There are some things you encounter in life that makes you think, God missed it on that one. He must have changed his mind about me on that one. But Jesus, as our high priest, assures us that his mind towards us is the same. That's why the psalmist could write, he remembered us according to his covenant. And he relented because of the greatness of his loving kindness. He made us objects of compassion in the presence of our captors. Because he thinks of us according to a committed relationship. He's the guarantee of a better covenant. He's the down payment. He's the power of an indestructible life. Hebrews 7.24. He's permanent. 7.24. He saves to the uttermost those who draw near. He saves completely to the very end, to every end that we go to, to the uttermost those who draw near to him. In seven, Hebrews 7.25. He lives to make intercession for us. He always is standing in the in-between without ceasing. He stands in the middle of our messes, in the middle of our chaoses, in the middle of our opportunities, our open doors, and he's interceding for us. He's holy. There's one like him. He's on a plane all by himself. He's innocent. He's unstained and undefiled. He's separated from sinners. He's exalted above the heavens. He offered himself once, unlike the priest before him. Now the cycle is broken. Once a year, we don't have to offer the sacrifice here. Once a year, we don't have to offer the sacrifice here. Now God has come and he's all, Jesus has offered the sacrifice once and for all. So that that cycle of sin can be broken. He was appointed by promise and not by law 
He's taken a seat at the right hand of the throne of God in the heavens. He's the minister in the sanctuary of God. These are in Hebrews 8. He has, now there's a more excellent ministry. He mediates a better covenant. And he breaks, he, he breaks us open and heals us from the issues of life. He makes the old covenant obsolete. It's outdated. It doesn't work anymore. He's fulfilled everything in it. He gives us access to the holy of holies by his blood. That now not just one person can go in, but we all can go into the holy of holies in his presence. And we can receive the blessing that he announces as our father and as our, as our great high priest, Jesus. He's the forgiveness, he gives us the forgiveness of sins. He perfects and cleanses our conscience and uh, the, the inner thoughts of our heart as well as the thoughts of our mind. He's obtained eternal redemption and now he appears in the presence of God for us forever. See this, this isn't just information y'all. This isn't just me. This, this is a revelation. If you discover, if you discover early what Jesus as your great high priest means for your life and your future and what he has for you to break every cycle and to break every hindrance and to give you access to him at every, every point in your life. Man, imagine what could happen for our communities if we responded to God as our great high priest. Imagine what could happen for our families. Imagine what God could do in our lives individually if we just go to him like David. We go to the priest like David. It wasn't just the bread, it wasn't just the weapon, it was the priest. It was The priest was the symbol of the presence of God, of the relationship with God. And if I can be in right relationship with God, then I can have every food, everything that I need to sustain me, and every weapon that I need to be able to fight whatever comes against me. And that's what brings us to Hebrews 10. Verses 9 through 18, it shows us brings together the covenants of old with this present covenant and how it was pointing to Jesus that what he does for us as our priest, he puts our past, he places our past behind us. And this is what I want you to receive in your heart. When you come to him as your great high priest everything that you're running from, everything that is a threat to your life he's able to move that past behind you. That's why he says, I remember your sins no more. He makes it his choice to remember your sins. That's the forgiveness that he gives us in Christ when we confess him. And we come to him as our refuge and our strength and as our Lord and as our Savior. He says, I'm placing your past behind you. Oh, can you see? Man, I'm just asking God if to uh, share these points. there would be a moment that sets something in motion in our hearts. Imagine what it would be like if your past was behind you. I mean, like if you really got to see a clear view of your future because the enemy likes to use our sin. When we think of our relation to God, he makes us think of our sin and our conscience, our, our, our human condition makes us think of our sin. The reasons why we can't relate to him the way that we, we really can and the way that we should. He makes us think of those rather than what Jesus has done for us and who Jesus is as our great high priest. But imagine now your past is behind you. He moves your past behind you. He, he puts your enemies, he places your enemies beneath you. Woo, I love that one right there. Now I'm seated with Christ in heavenly places. And so the things that are underneath his feet, he gives me the power to place them underneath my feet. And that's why we can tread upon our enemies 
tread upon scorpions and, and upon snakes like it says in the gospel and that God, God gives us authority over uh, the unclean spirits and over demonic activity through, through Christ Jesus that we can place those enemies beneath our feet. The enemy of our sin, the enemy of, of Satan and his demonic host and even the enemy of our flesh, we can begin to, by the Spirit of God, place them underneath our feet, our past behind us. Imagine that enemy that's hindering your sight and your vision and your hope, imagine it removed. What, man, what would it be like? What would it feel like? What would you be able to see? What would your heart be able to embrace if that enemy wasn't there? See, that's the reality we can live in. It's not just a theoretical thought. It's a reality that we can live in. And the third piece is his purpose within us. He places his purpose within us. That we are the people to reign as a royal priesthood. You know, if you, you think about who's the next pastor of Four Points Church, I would be praying for somebody who embodies what we've talked about today. What does God have next for Four Points Church? I'd be praying that he'd make me a kingdom priest and a royal priesthood. Like the great high priest I see in Hebrews chapter 10. In the book of Hebrews. Because we reign as kingdom priests together. And we get to reveal God. He, it's his purpose that we would be those that bring his presence everywhere we go. And that's what brings us to where we started. We can step towards this and operate with our past behind us, our enemies beneath us, God's purpose within us by embracing the new and living way he's given us through our great high priest. In those scriptures there, Hebrews 10, 19 through 25, we see that we have confident access. Who has confident access? Just the person with the microphone? No, anybody who would hunger and thirst and seek God with all of their heart. Anyone who confesses Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, believes in their heart, and receives him to live. You have access to him anywhere, everywhere you go. I can access him at any moment. I can access him in a church service. I can access him in my office. I can access him in my backyard. I can access him everywhere I go. Confident access. There's nothing that hinders me from getting to God. He gives me a clear conscience. Those things that sear me and make me think of myself or the enemy or exalt the enemy, he, he clears my conscience and he washes me pure. He gives me a, a confession of hope that now everywhere I go I have hope. I face things. It doesn't mean I'm clueless. It doesn't mean that I'm not, re, I'm not real. It means that I have a real and living faith and a real and living hope. And I choose to believe that over everything else. It means that I know that God is aware of, of present circumstances, but he's not governed by them. That means his word has authority in my life, and his presence has authority in my life more than the events and the circumstances of my life. I have a hope that I can't be talked out of. It allows me to consider others. This is the new and living way. I have confident access. My mind and my heart, the thoughts of my heart are cleansed. I have a confessed hope, and I, I'm able to consider others of how to stimulate them onto good works. It empowers me to live beyond myself. And this new living way is also committed to community. 
Don't forsake the assembling together of the saints, as is the habit of some. They've let the chronological events of life disrupt their heart and the opportunity that we have to be the living, breathing expression of the body of Christ in the earth. Don't let that be you. That verse right there has held, kept me together in low moments of my life because I would still go to church when I didn't feel like it because it's the least that I could do in the response from my heart of everything that he has done for me through Jesus. I want to be with the body when they gather. I don't want to be a dislocated part. I want to be with the body when they gather. If you'll stand to your feet with me, we're going to worship. And I just invite you. This is a real teaching message, but I just invite you to embrace. That's part of the blessing that we have in Christ Jesus as our high priest. Embrace him as your first. Embrace him as your last. Embrace him as your king of righteousness, as your king of peace. Embrace him as the one who's passed through the heavens. Embrace him as the one who sacrificed once and for all. Embrace him as the one who is sympathetic with your weakness. Embrace him as the one who is the forerunner, who's always ahead of you. Get a vision of what he's paving a path for in your life. See your enemies beneath you, your past behind you, and his purpose within you. God, in these moments, minister to your people. Let your presence, let your blessing move our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.